Scott Bakula, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 81, Trilogy, part one, One Little Heart. Oh boy. Leaping in time has brought me into many strange first encounters. But coming face to face with a dead man is probably my least favorite. And it happened, if I remember correctly, twice before, and each time the same words echoed through my brain. Too late. Why am I too late? Bard Aider. Saints preserve us. And the sheriff. <laughs> you telling me you're Bard. Well, I must have scared the hell out of the Abigail coming up on a dead man like that. You know, at 10 years old, that daughter of yours. She's seen enough grief for two lifetimes. I never like it when a leap starts out at the bottom and goes downhill from there. All I could gather from my deputy was that I was in the state of Louisiana and father to a little girl who had stumbled upon a dead man. A dead man that somebody had bludgeoned and pushed into the water. Dad, I'm so glad you're home. He was there, wasn't he? Just like I said he was, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was, was so mad. He was yelling at me and he was following me and I tried to hide but it wouldn't go away. Abigail Fuller, you told me he was dead when you come on in. I just said he was dead and I ran away. He said I had Violet's locket and I better give it back. Locket? It was supposed to be my locket. Everybody knew it. Mom and I were saving all our money to buy it and they bought it first. But I didn't take it, I didn't. Then why was Mr. Ader yelling at you? I don't know. No one ever believes me. Now, wait a second. I didn't say I didn't believe you. He was going to hit me, and I pulled away. When I looked back, he was lying in the water. Oh, won't this nightmare ever go away? First Violet, now her daddy? Uh, yeah. Well, you see, there was a huge flood here in 1971, and it destroyed all the town records. But no, we, we can piece things together. Just It's going to take a little time. These are to Laura Fuller. Oh, is that the wife? Yeah. I heard you talk to her. Uh, talking to... You still miss her, don't you? Miss her? I miss her, too. Sounds like the mother must have died, poor kid. You mean your mother? I talk to her sometimes. Why won't you talk back? Ziggy doesn't have anything on these people. But, you know, the mother could have... Don't say it. You're, you're saying he had a heart attack because someone attacked him. Look, all I'm saying is it's just a kind of weird coincidence that 
Abigail was the last person to see Violet and Bart alive. Sheriff, um, Miss Hayter's all over you, Abigail. You gotta come quick. Just, just tell me what happened, all right? What happened? All right, I was working on the death papers. Abigail walked in looking for you. She came back to your office. Next thing you know, she's screaming at the child like a wild banshee. Smiling that same evil smile she had at the services for my Violet. I just said I was sorry that he died. That's a lie. She said she was sorry that he fell, that if he hadn't been as mad at her, he wouldn't have fallen and hit his head. She watched him die. He fell down and died. It's not my fault. Oh. Just like Violet's not my fault. She's lying, just like oh, she was oh, lying about Violet. Can anyone see that? On a picnic, okay? Can't you see her for the devil that she is? Lena, can't you see her? Ziggy picked up an item in your hometown, I mean, Clayton's hometown newspaper, placed just south of Shreveport. And it said that tomorrow, Clayton and his daughter burned to death in a fire at his home. And the cause of the fire wasn't determined. Now, do you think that Abigail, a little girl like Abigail, could be capable of murder? Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And guys, help me. Uh, I, I need to know all the ways you love me. Matt, tell me all the ways you love me, Matt. Tell me all the ways that you love me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Could you have prepped me if this was going to be some kind of cultural reference? Uh, what? No, this is uh, Trilogy Part 1. That's the episode yeah. we're talking about today. I assumed you had watched it, but hey, if you're going to wing it, that's fine too. <laughs> I've watched it. I don't know what you're talking about. He he doesn't know which one you're talking about. One Little Heart, I believe, <laughs> is the name of this one. It's not the name of this episode. You I know think. what? On the NBC app it is. Yeah, and on the website it is as well. That's fine. They can make up whatever dumb names for it they want to. Just because it, it was on the script, it wasn't on the screen. You ever watch a TV show that didn't put the title on the screen? And then go like, yeah. I didn't see it there, so it's not <laughs> called that. Yeah, there's like 200 episodes of The X-Files that are called The X-Files. Yeah. <laughs> um. You ever seen The X-Files 302? Oh, what a great one. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> but this is a show that does have episode titles on screen. We don't need to make ones up because they're right there. And it's not like Trilogy doesn't make sense on two different levels. So we don't we don't need other titles. But all right, if it keeps you happy, this is one little something or other. That's fine. That's fine. You, you do that if you want to. <laughs> Matt, can we deconstruct this a little bit? It's me versus the rest of fandom. Why are you so angry about this? <laughs> I'm only angry because it's like, because it's me against the rest of fandom. There is no one else out there that gets bothered by this but me. And therefore, I feel like I have to, to emphasize it. No, it's it's fine. I can... Maybe people like using it because it's it's like the in and out secret menu, right? Like you're a real uh, Quantum Leap fan if you know the names of each of the trilogy episodes, the subtitles. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel, but that but it's so well spread. And like you say, it's it's on the NBC app. I'm I'm sure it's listed in other places as well. I'm sure it's on some of the DVDs. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know if that theory holds water, but yes. Yes. Anyway, let's not spend an hour talking about that. We know I'm a bit weird about it. It's fine. This is my <laughs> cross to bear. <laughs> what are the three subtitles? There's there's one little heart and then... Uh, For Your Love and... Also sung by the Yardbirds. <laughs> Hang on. Oh, he's looking it up. <laughs> oh, and the, la the last door. The last door. 
Oh, so the for your love in the last door. Which is also the the name of the last novel in C.S. Lewis's Narnia series, I believe. Let me see. I think I have it right here. That's the last battle. Oh, uh, was that the last battle? I thought oh it was the my last gosh. Door. Yeah, that, which is actually the name of the book on the front page. That's how you know that's what it's called. Because that's <laughs> that's what it says. <laughs> oh, that's usually how things are named. I just love how you can call up that Narnia knowledge like boom, no, it's last yeah. battle, idiot. <laughs> Honestly, I never remember the subtitles for trilogy. It's always just trilogy one, two, three, whatever. But it doesn't bother me when people use the <laughs> subtitles. Yeah, it doesn't bother me either. And um I get what you're saying, Matt. It was only trilogy on screen, and that's how I think of it. They got them fancy titles. They made they put them all fancy in the little twirly text. Yeah. I don't think any other one's got the fancy text. But only for parts two and three, right? They, they didn't get fancy text right. for the first well, the, part. Yeah, well, this one didn't, because we didn't know it was going to be a, a trilogy. I guess. Well, it did say trilogy, though, yeah? It's, it's trilogy part one. Part one, oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So uh, but it was in the standard future or bold. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, yes, that's the level of geekitude here. We know the actual font mm-hmm. for the Quantum Leap <laughs> uh, title screens because we recreate the titles for yes. our podcast title tiles. So, Futura Bolt. How fitting, Futura. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you think they thought of that? They're like, oh, man, that's so good. Oh, yeah, we have to use Futura. So, we're talking about trilogy, right? So, now... I haven't seen part two or part three in many, many a year, so I'm looking forward to that font now. Mm. Now I just want to stop the podcast and, okay, we're going to put a pin in that. We'll talk about that for an hour on Trilogy <laughs> Part Two, the podcast. Yes. Wow. Oh, I've got a lot to talk about with typefaces when we get to part two. Don't you worry. <laughs> Don't you worry, Chris. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think we've been digging around for long enough. Um, Allison, what are your initial impressions of Trilogy? I am very, very mixed on Trilogy. There's a lot that I really, really dig, and there's a lot that I really, really just can't get behind. And a lot of that has to do with Trilogy as a whole. But as far as Trilogy Part 1, I I don't know. I think it's pretty solid overall. Uh, Maybe we'll get some more into that uh, when we get into the discussion here, but that's my thoughts. How about you, Matt? Yeah, same for me. Um, we're talking about Trilogy Part 1 today, and yeah, I like Trilogy Part 1. It's, it's a good episode uh, in itself. In fact, all three of them are pretty good episodes in themselves. The issues I have are, are more surrounding the whole of Trilogy, which I guess maybe we'll we'll talk about when we're summarising for Part 3. But no, this, this, is a, this is a good, solid episode. I think we'll have some of the same issues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 I like this one. Well, I think I'm going to sort of buck the trend on this one, guys. Sorry, but I mean, I, I come away from this episode the same way I came away from it 20 years ago when I first saw it. I'm just bored and depressed. <laughs> and <laughs> I just, the second I saw Sam leap in to the swamp with the corpse. I kind of knew what the flavor of the episode was going to be. Mm-hmm. And for sure, the next week when I sat down to watch it, I was not disappointed. Um, it was everything I was fearing. Um, <laughs> very, very slow, very melodramatic, and um, just not a satisfying watch as far as I'm concerned. There were parts where it picks up and we can get to those, but I am not a fan of this one episode. And if I remember correctly, because it's been so long since I've seen them, I'm not really a fan of the trilogy trilogy 
in general. But uh, it's hard for me to sit and watch this one objectively because I sort of I, I can't untie all three episodes. Like I, they, they're all bundled together for me in different sure. ways. Yeah, I think like um, the pacing. Uh, I I like that it's slower than usual because they have three episodes to really get into these characters. They have time to do this stuff. I know e- each of the leaps are contained in themselves but part of a larger story so they have this time to build up these characters in this this atmosphere that's what i really i think the strong point of uh of trilogy uh especially part one is the atmosphere because this one is it's a creepy episode certainly is and the way i saw it is this was sort of a genre that was new for quantum leap i don't think that they had done anything with this particular flavor and in my mind i call this southern gothic i don't know if that's really a thing it is kind of yeah could see that and i think you know another way to put it would be like swamp noir (laughs) (laughs) that's you know part of i think the appeal to it because i think that for them going for that feeling and that flavor, they did it excellently. It's just not something that I was fond of sitting through. It's kind of like True Detective if True Detective was, you know, bad. I could see um, bits of this in uh, So Help Me God, especially with that twist at the end. So they have like little bits of it, but they took the creepy parts of that and just amplified it in this story. I think it was it was really helped too by uh Velton Ray Bunch's music. It was it was so good. And yeah. they have like this great creepy riff of um Hush Little Baby that they keep playing through the whole thing. I want to talk about the music because to me, the music is so tied and linked to the character of Abigail. I honestly didn't know what to make of her. Was she guilty? Was she a killer? Was she crazy? Just like everybody accused her whole family of being crazy. Of the stuff that I liked about this episode, the fact that Abigail seemed to be somewhat unreliable and maybe guilty, that's that's what I liked most about it. Yeah, what, yeah, same yeah. Here. They made you yeah. believe a, a little girl could be the killer. Like, when they, right. they have that scene, the picnic scene, and Sam's just watching her playing with flowers while that creepy music is playing, and he's doubting it, the audience is doubting it because it's unreliable, you don't know what, where the story's gonna go, she could very well have killed two people. And she, every yeah. time, every time he tries to get into this with her, she's so manipulative about it. Unless you tell me what happened, I can't help you. I didn't kill him! I didn't kill either of them! I said you did. Mama said you'd keep me safe. She swore in her heart. Safe from what? Daddy, tell me all the ways that you love me. Please tell me. Tell me the ways that you love me, Daddy. Tell me the ways you love me. <laughs> She's a perfect horror movie little kid. Yeah. And and the music then backs that up. Yeah, and then getting to the point of the music, I don't know if you guys listened to the, the closing credits music just by itself, but they have like this weird sort of chanting in it that has like shades of the omen. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when the when the fire is going, they're playing that music too, and like, yeah, kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chorus. 
Velton was fully playing up that there's something up with Abigail. I, it's like he was really trying hard to throw the red herrings in there musically. I almost wish that that was what they had done with the story, that she had been guilty. But then it would be yeah. a completely different story than what they go with. Yes. Um, Kimberly Collum was, was really good. She had to play, you know, two different characters through this trilogy. Um, and, uh, yeah, she had to carry a lot of really big scenes. Yeah, and that's mm. why I don't want to, you know, attack her performance or down her performance in any way, because she had – this whole episode was basically riding on her shoulders. I mean, it was it was the Kimberly and Scott show. I, I don't think it was her performance so much as the words they made her say. And um, I just – there there were times when she was on the screen – and they descended into this terrible melodrama that was like the dialogue was so trite and weird that it was just eye rolling at times to me. And I, it's just like, I found myself yelling at the TV, stop being so bad. Why are you so bad? This is, this is awful. And I feel like I don't <laughs> well, think it was her. I think it's what they made her say that was annoying me, which was turning me off to her. Was it, was it that bad? Did they make us say, I, I don't, I don't think, think the script was that bad. There's nothing in her lines that's standing out that I want to say, oh, but look at this fine piece of work by Deborah. But there's, I, I, bad seems, I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe it just rubbed me the wrong way. Um, and that's the baggage I bring to it. I'm not a particular fan of Southern mystery and just the oppressive feel that this episode has, which, you know, points to the fact that they actually did it very well. Just that you could feel the humidity. You were yes. as uncomfortable as you know all of those characters were in just sort of that swampy heat. And that, that feeling of oppression hung over it to a point where it really made me dislike sitting through the episode because I felt that way. I could just feel it in my bones. And then they're throwing all of this dialogue on top of it. That, I'm, Like I said, it just, it, it just made me go, ugh. Let's talk about the humidity because we know we're in the South because every time we're in the South, Scott Bakula has more fake sweat than anyone else, right? <laughs> He's drowning in the stuff. They say, okay, we have to up the baby oil budget, right? <laughs> but just for Scott. <laughs> Everyone else can cope with it. It's like, yeah, we've grown up in the South. We're okay. A couple of little bits of sweat here and there. Where, where was he in the last episode? Maybe it was really dry where he was before? He was He was Jimmy again. He was Jimmy. Oh, okay. Well, that was kind of seaside, yeah. though. It wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been dry. Yeah, but he was sweaty in that one, too, lugging all those boxes. Oh, man. Yes. They love them some sweaty scabacula. <laughs> sweaty topless Scott. But for all that, I mean, uh, like I said, they did convey the atmosphere they wanted to. Um, Matt, if I could go more specific into some of the dialogue, and this wasn't the melodramatic stuff, but some places where I think the script really could have used some tightening, and it felt like maybe they were just padding or spinning their wheels. It's that first scene between Scott and Dean where Dean doesn't know anything. And instead of just declaring, there was a flood here in 71, we have no records, you're kind of on your own, we're going to do what we can. He just sort of talks around the fact that they don't know anything. Why am I here, Al? Uh, you're a uh, male uh, of the Caucasian persuasion of 40-ish. And you're, oh, let's see, what's a, a sheriff? You're a sheriff of Al. a small town. Al. I know that, okay? It's like, yeah. what is the point of making Al deliver lines like that? It's like, 
just why wouldn't at this point they've been doing this for years and he's got a legit excuse this time for not knowing it's not a sloppy floppy <laughs> it's not a magnafoozled it's not a chip from mm. from egypt yeah. it's an actual disaster that wiped out all the records in the region so he's actually got cover this time yet he's still going in in a very coy way and i just felt like they were just writing that to write that to make it into i don't know like a pseudo humorous kind of scene that really doesn't go anywhere did that annoy other of you guys or do you just uh, not even notice it anymore? No, that 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 I noticed and and Sam being unusually irritable with Al, which you know, maybe somewhat prompted by Al's rambling around the topic. But yeah, that all, all of which added up to padding, like you say. I, I think it seems clear that they really wanted to play with this idea of a, a three leap trilogy spread it out to three episodes. As, as Alice and I both said earlier, I like the pacing generally, but yeah, some some of the script, it needed to make use of that extra time a bit better. Um, I think the stuff with Al, uh, him dancing around the fact that they don't know anything is, is not really that new. Uh, at first I was like, well, he really doesn't have a lot to do, right? Because he doesn't know what's going on. But then I realized, like, Al in Trilogy is not really – he has some information, but he's really there for character, emotional kind of scenes with Sam. They have time to do this kind of stuff because he doesn't have any exposition to give him. So I think that they did actually use him pretty well, even though that they that he didn't have a lot of exposition to give, which is good, actually, because I think they took away a crutch that they have with Al's character sometimes in that he is just exposition man. Yeah. Mm. Now, if we can get into some of the more specifics of this uh, character-wise, I was happy to see Max Wright. He's always good and everything as the doctor doing the – Doc Kinman, right, was I think the name of the character. And can you guys correct me? Was he on ALF? <laughs> was he really on ALF? <laughs> I got IMDb open. I guess I could find out. <laughs> I wouldn't know. Yes, he was on ALF. He was Willie Tanner. Yeah. Okay. I only mention Alf because our patron saint and the creator of the QLP, Mr. Albert Mark Burge, is a giant Alf fan. Mm-hmm. I've been finding him back issues of the Alf comic book. Oh, he must have loved this one then. <laughs> Just to have uh, Willie from Alf as the uh, as the mortician was nice was a nice touch. <laughs> and honestly, the other character that made this episode really pop for me. It's the only time it ever got interesting was the wonderfully evil Lita Ader played by Mary Gordon Murray. I mean, I thought that she was terrific. Yeah. She is, I think my favorite villain to hate in all of Quantum Leap. <laughs> like she is <laughs> she is so damn good. She plays this woman completely consumed by anger and bitterness and um she just goes all in in her scenes um just really really a terrific job like she's just you, you just want to hate her so much you do and i love the fact that um when she goes after abigail abigail is still sort of in in my mind she could be guilty mm-hmm. so i as much as you don't like to see a grown woman putting a child in danger i'm thinking like is she really is she really wrong here and that's that's part of it. It's like you didn't just hate her. There was a little bit of sympathy there too, because you just never could pin down Abigail. Yeah, and I I think 
that's for me that sympathy I find very interesting because it it's like nobody else in the town really quite believes her and she's got he says she's consumed by this hatred it's built up inside her and she doesn't really have anyone else backing her up so you can understand why she's managed to get to this point where she's become such an awful person but it starts from a point of um this genuine belief that justice hasn't been done and and i think the only way she would have been even more deliciously evil is if it was louise fletcher playing her (laughs) yes (laughs) That's about the only thing I could think of that would have made the character even more effective. But uh, yeah, all of her scenes brought the episode to life. And that's when I finally kind of stood up and took notice. Um, so yeah, good on her. Uh, all the others, they, they, they did a fine job, but they seemed like, you know, Southern character one, <laughs> the deputy, deputy yeah. Bill, Southern character two, Fran Bennett, uh, Marie. I don't know. I thought this was a, I thought this was a very solid cast. I think everyone like had a lot of really strong work here. I'm I'm not, I'm not downing the actors. What I'm talking about is just the character types that we're seeing were pretty by the numbers, as far as I was concerned for a setting like this. You have the good old boy deputy, even though he was pretty good. Um, in the end, he didn't turn out to be like just some ignorant backwoods guy. He was actually a, a good guy. Uh, deputy Bo, right? That was mm. Bo. I, I guess you're right, Allison. Maybe I'm being a little too hard on, on the cast. Again, it, I, I have to separate the material from the people delivering the material, I suppose. We know, we've seen these actors in, in other shows, and in some cases in other episodes of Quantum Leap, and we know they're, they're, they're fine performers when they're given good material. But yeah, yeah, it's a real shame and it's a real missed opportunity because this is the introductory episode. We know it's a trilogy. We know it's going to be three leaps. We're meant to be falling in love with these characters, whether it's love to hate or or, or just that they're they're appealing characters in some way, so that we can follow them through the next two decades. And yeah, Chris, you you're absolutely right. It really is that they're they're somewhat generic and not really fleshed out. And there's a whole episode in which to do just that. It's a little bit of a wasted opportunity. I think sometimes they they have some things they're trying to like set up for later that are a little bit clunky. Like um, when uh, what's his name, Larry Stanton, is the lawyer. He yeah. comes in, and then they're like, nobody called for a lawyer. <laughs> just to let you know, this is a lawyer. He's going to be important later. It doesn't really right now. It's kind of what, but don't worry. It's the lawyer. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I don't know if they were thinking, okay, this is going to be good on a rewatch because you'll say, oh, that's him from the third episode and he was there the whole time and you probably didn't remember it, but. I was going to ask if we've done an episode uh, that had W.K. Stratton in it, who, who played uh, Larry Stanton, and we did, but not when he was on screen. See, uh, Larry, uh, Larry Stan, uh, W.K. Stratton, he, um, he's been in, uh, I think more Quantum Leap episodes than anyone. I think he was in like five total. Really? Yeah, he was, um, he's, he's been on screen, hasn't he? Wasn't he, um, in Genesis? He was, but I mean ones that that we've covered, like when all three of us were hosts. Oh, the, yes. Um, he, yeah, the yeah. only thing we've covered that he was in was, um, I thought he did a voice in Hurricane. He was a uh, like a voiceover on there, like uh, one of the guys on the radio. Supposedly, I've never found any real hard evidence that that was him. I think okay. in the book, I I did end up 
suggesting it was him, but... Uh, okay, it's, I don't see it on IMDb now, so maybe someone took it down, but even if we just go by on-screen appearances, it's five episodes. Yeah. He's supposedly the dispatcher in Black and White, Black and White on Fire and in Hurricane, but that's both kind of, it's fan lore. I've never, never found anywhere really reliable. I think he must have been, like, friends with Donald Belisario, because he's in yeah. a lot of his productions. He was a regular on yeah. Tequila and Benetti. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, including including trilogy, he was in uh, Genesis, and he was in Goodnight Dearheart. And Goodnight Dearheart's one of my faves. So I do enjoy a good murder mystery. Just maybe the southern flavor is what turns me off on this one. Um, but yeah, no, that's great. And I mean, we're we're dancing around the giant get for this episode. The 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 character actor probably most recognizable to anyone watching this, Mrs. Meg Foster. Ooh, if you if you're gonna need someone that's that's kind of kind of uh, unique looking and exotic yes. looking, call up Meg Foster. Those eyes, she's got those <laughs> eyes. She's just got this haunting look, which is perfect for this. Um, you know, she doesn't have anything to do in the this episode much anyway, like because she doesn't say anything. But she uh, even the scenes when she's just sitting there staring, like you just you see things going on in her head and um it's perfect for this southern gothic horror type thing too like when you see her walking around in the house in that flowing nightgown with her big bushy hair and <laughs> just uh just just so creepy i i need to admit something here quickly because i i know i know she's she's a big get and and it was it was amazing that they got her i know that logically for me all she is is that woman from masters of the universe oh, I, I really that, evil that's Lynn? what i know her from she was evil Lynn. yeah <laughs> she was evil Lynn. That, that's, that's that's it the funny thing is i don't remember i saw masters of the universe once uh, when it came out a million years ago the second you said meg foster and masters of the universe i said she had to be evil Lynn, right like who <laughs> yeah. else would yeah, she be <laughs> of course she's she's so good in that but that's literally i i know she's she's had an amazing career and that's a terrible thing to remember her for but that's that's who she is to me so she reads to me as a person who'd be very proud like yeah evil Lynn. i was evil Lynn. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, she popped up in a lot of genre stuff in the 80s. Yeah. She did, yeah. yeah. She was a Hera in that Hercules show. <laughs> it, it's those eyes, like you said, Allison. She's so recognizable because of her unique features. And the eyes in particular are, as you say, haunting. I think what I knew her best from, I think we talked about this in the last episode, was uh, <laughs> I came here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. I'm out of bubblegum. They live. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the with the late Rowdy Roddy Piper, you know what the actors in that were great. I don't like they live, but the actors were great. <laughs> Everyone was really. I just yeah. rewatched it for no reason about a month ago, so it was just like, oh, this Meg Foster again, and uh, I knew she was coming up on Quantum Leap, so I've had her on my mind for a little bit, and she was also in an episode of DS Nine that I rewatched recently called The Muse, where she was sort of like a creativity vampire. That was sucking off of Jake's creativity. <laughs> oh, okay. So. I don't remember that one. But. <laughs> well, probably with good reason. She seems like a good creativity vampire. <laughs> I could see her playing that, and I have, but I don't remember that episode. Yeah, just, just a striking person. And I want to know, like, okay, this is where the episode, I know that it, it's supposed to be trippy and it's supposed to be creepy and give you that vibe. But now it's going into ghost story territory because... The door just blows open and she's standing in the hallway with her hair blowing in the breeze. <laughs> the door closes, Sam immediately opens it, and she is just gone. 
Well, that so yeah. does she have a personal transporter device? Is <laughs> is she astrally projecting? Like, what is going on there? And then the only thing that's out in the hallway is Abigail with this weird knowing smile. Is is this a problem with? trilogy part one or is this a problem with trilogy as a whole though because I, as part one goes I, that was a wonderful mystery that was set up it's like oh yeah th- this is a ghost story and then yeah you're right it, it's it's not <laughs> well that was a big question i had through this episode so uh i, I don't want to jump ahead too much but we do know from uh future episodes that the scene where she appears standing in the fire she's really there but my question is was she always there when Sam saw her? When she was standing in the hallway, was she really there? Or was this more residuals going on? Because I feel like through all of Trilogy, he's he's experiencing more residuals than usual, like some attachments. And I wondered if some of the way that Sam acts in this episode and some of the things he sees, if that wasn't the person he leaped into. Huh. Mm. You ask a lot of great questions, Allison. And um, I know that in the broader trilogy taken as a whole, maybe we get some answers. Maybe the mystery is deepened. Um, maybe some, something starts to make more sense. But let's keep it in the context of just trilogy part one. And like you said, are we seeing a ghost story here? Are we seeing – what are we supposed to gather? Does Abigail have some kind of weird secret link with Laura? Does Laura come and visit Abigail in the night somehow? She mm. gets out of Peach Hill and Abigail's used to seeing her. I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to figure it out sort of like in-universe. What is going on if we're going to discount the supernatural element? I mean we know that she does – or at least does at least once come visit them because in the fire she was there. So I don't know. Like there's some things like you you were saying, like she seems to teleport out of there uh, when she's <laughs> in the hallway and the door closing on its own. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. So the only thing that really makes sense in my mind is that Sam was just seeing something that wasn't there. Then what's with Abigail in the hallway with this weird knowing smile? She's creepy. She's a creepy little girl. She's an evil little yeah. shit. <laughs> I think she's supposed to be doing what she's doing through the whole episode. She's kind of creepy anyway, but she just, I don't know. She's always kind of smiling like she loves her daddy. And I don't know. She just Maybe she is like a little bit off. You know, they talk about um, mental illness in this episode. The fact that her mother is in an institution and they're like, did she inherit it? Is she also touched, as they say? Um, maybe there is something about her emotionally, why she acts as weird as she does. I don't know. It's an interesting dynamic that they set up. And it's one of the few things that I find unfortunate that we don't get to explore more deeply because then we fast forward at the end of this episode to Abigail as a young adult. So it's, it's, it's almost too bad that they leave that as a mystery that seems to be hanging. And to my recollection, they don't ever really explore that any further because they've moved on with the character. Hmm. I mean, how much of this is um, mental illness or inherited trauma or um, just the fact that if you grew up in a broken home like that, like if your mother had to be put away, uh, if you had all of this stigma against you because of uh, your family history, how much would that affect you emotionally? Like she she bottles a lot of this stuff up and, and we see in her flashback with Violet, it just all exploded at once. She said we were poor and crazy and I hit her. I 
hit her until my hand hurt. Nose is bleeding all over and you want sweater. Are we to believe that it's Laura following Abigail around and protecting her that's committing all these murders? Um, well, we know what happened. They do tell what happens in the the other two. But uh, I mean, that could be something they're throwing out there as a possibility. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if that's something that you think they're throwing out there, that certainly could be hinted at in this episode that Laura was involved somehow, because th- that is the question. It's like, is she out in the hallway? Would she be out there following her around, protecting her, killing people? Right. And, you know, again, it's so hard to discuss this. I'm really trying to discuss this episode on its merits in a bubble, quote, having not seen parts two and three, which is why maybe I'm a little reluctant to bring this stuff up because they do address it further on down the line. But in the context of this episode, to me, it's almost like an obvious thing that it's not Abigail, it's probably Laura. But then how is she out in the swamp? Like, how does she know where Abigail is? Is she following her all the time? And it, it, it's just, again, it, it's sort of that, that, that creepy supernatural vibe that they sort of stray into with a lot of this stuff. Yeah, which I am absolutely happy with in the context of this episode. And I, I, I think the fact that we know this is the start of a trilogy allows them to get away with quite a bit because anything that you're criticizing as being not really fully tied up or uncertain well it's it's probably going to be explained down the line now the fact that we're unsatisfied with the explanations or they don't really happen that's a problem for future us to to worry about um, <laughs> right now though in the context of watching trilogy part 1 love it or hate it those mysteries are exactly that the the stuff with uh with Laura could she be a ghost is also I think made creepier by the fact that like Sam thinks she's dead at that point. He keeps hearing yeah. like that she's gone and like he thinks that mm-hmm. like oh the mom's passed away and Al even thinks that too because they don't they can't get access to the records. And so when Al reveals that she's still alive, what does that say? Was she there? Was Sam seeing something? Was something else going on? Like she's not a ghost now. So what what other issue what is happening here? Hmm. Just deepens the mystery. Especially because when they go see her, um, she's completely catatonic. She doesn't look like someone who gets yeah. up and walks around and like rushes out of the room when you open the door, like <laughs> like moves like a cat. You know, <laughs> the only time that we see her um, in in the asylum, anyway, or in the institution, the only time that we see her do anything is when Al disappears. Suddenly, she like reaches out to where he was. Yeah, and that to me tells me that um, she can see him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so by that virtue, does she see Sam as Sam? Yes, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, because that's what happened. We we know from Quantum Leap lore that people who are mentally ill uh, can see Al and Sam. So I don't know why they didn't bring that up, though, because, like, obviously she's catatonic, but they know this for a fact. So I don't know why they wouldn't think she, she couldn't see them. I think they... Oh, well, in this episode they don't, but I, I'm pretty sure they cover that in part two, maybe part three. I don't think, I think Sam thinks that she sees him as him, or I mean, as the, uh, sees him as uh, the guy he leaped into, and then... Doesn't she say, like, you came to visit me before or something? Well, she she does remember, She know, she they do reveal that yeah. she can see, but I think Sam doesn't realize that, and Al doesn't realize right. she okay. can see yeah. him, but yeah. they know this from uh, past leaps... 
Yes. That this is a likely possibility. But I don't know. Maybe it just didn't come up because she was so catatonic. Like, it's just she wasn't really responding to anything. Yeah. And that makes me think, since she apparently does have some kind of agency, how much of that is an act? Mm. She doesn't want to face the traumas, you know? She's retreated into herself. I mean, but uh, also it could be a useful fiction for her so that she can go around and do what she wants to do. That's true. Yeah. I.e. murder little girls. Them eyes. She got them murderous eyes. Those evil Lynn eyes. <laughs> I think that, I think also this episode um, uses the stigma against uh, the mentally ill to place doubt on a lot of what is going on there. Because it's like, on the one hand, yes, she could be a murderer. Abigail could be a murderer. But this could also be the people in town pointing the finger at them because of these preconceived notions. I, I mean, I suppose. Um, it's funny to me, though, that um, uh, we, we – it's, it's – Let's just get into the the creepy vibes of this episode. <laughs> the creepy overtones. Tell me all the I ways mean, you love me. <laughs> Tell me all the ways you love me, Danny. <laughs> I'm just thinking of because you were talking about the townspeople. So of course that made me think of the the supporting cast, the ensemble cast, and Will Kinman, uh, played by Travis Fine, mm-hmm. seems to be inordinately concerned with Abigail's safety. I mean, this is a ten year old girl. It's got to be a 17-year-old kid, an 18-year-old kid. <laughs> and then where we wind up on the leap out retroactively just makes his attentions not noble, but like, whoa, you're a little too interested in this girl. I don't know. I don't know if it was just because of where we wound up at the end of the leap that kind of tainted the interactions earlier in the episode to me or what, but it was just... It's- I there's I think there's some obvious problems that we'll come onto when we talk about trilogy two. I I've got to admit that to me isn't one of them because enough time passes that yeah it's a little bit odd for them to effectively grow up together and for his maybe kind of big brother type caring affections to turn into something more romantic. It's a little odd, but yeah, I I can buy it without it being creepy. I, I don't think I, I certainly don't think he felt romantically inclined towards her when she was ten. No, I think I think it was it was just a protective thing. Although it is a little bit strange yeah. um, their relationship, but I don't think it was a romantic one. But uh, this whole <laughs> a lot of this stuff. I mean this this will go into uh, stuff in part two, which uh, I'll have a lot yeah. to say about. But um, <laughs> we all will. we all will. <laughs> but I'm getting strong. Jacob Twilight imprint vibes. <laughs> you, know, you guys know anything about Twilight? Because <laughs> you're gonna have you're gonna have to unpack that a little bit for the old man in the group. I'm okay. sorry. It's yeah, fine. I, I saw the first one a long time ago. It's fine. Okay, so Twilight, you know, the teen vampire werewolf book or whatever. Part of the storyline is there's this love triangle between um, Bella and Edward and Jacob, and Edward's a vampire, Jacob's a, a werewolf or whatever they call them in Twilight. Anyway, there's this whole love triangle thing going on, and then Edward and Bella get together, and they get married, and they have a baby together, and it's a stupid vampire baby. Anyway, it turns out Jacob was in (laughs) love with Bella, 
because he was really in love with the baby. He imprints on the baby. What? What? And it's one of these things like you imprint and this is your mate for life or whatever. And so he he's going to get with their kid. But this is a baby. <laughs> this is a baby. So this is all a long way of saying like a lot of this stuff that they're hinting at in this episode, it happens because of part two. You know, the reason, like, you know, the stuff with Will being attached to, to, uh, to, to Abigail, like, it, it, it does seem like just a protective thing, but really it's, they're setting up the stuff that happens in part two. And the same with the stuff with Sam and Abigail, which is a whole other thing, because he's supposed to be her father in this. But this is leading into a into a romance, because, and we know this from the end of the episode, from the leap out. Without going into anything else in part two, he immediately leaps into a, a sexual situation with her. So, herein lies a lot a lot of issues here. Let's save the Sam stuff for the next episode because yeah. we don't know what Sam's thinking during that leap out. So, in the context <laughs> of this forty five minutes. There's nothing wrong here with what's going on with Yeah, Sam. but I'm not talking about the leap out. It feels like they're having they're making this attachment that Sam has to her, not just yeah. a fatherly thing. They're trying to set up part 2, but fatherly love is very different than a romantic love. So it's a little creepy. Yeah, I just I also think this yeah, okay. Sorry. I, I think within the context <laughs> of part 1, it's it's fine. And I I think even if you stretch that out to the leap in, that doesn't bother me yet. And in fact, the same same thing with Will, really. It is weird to go from leaping out of it being his daughter into into sleeping with her. I think that's a transition that should not have happened. Yes. And there's many other reasons why it shouldn't have happened, but just that alone is, I don't think they should have done it that way. And at the same time, since we don't really get Sam's reaction, aside from the old boy, to this new development, I'm inclined to think like Matt is thinking, like... In my head, Sam is probably saying, what in the actual fuck is going on here? And it's an actual fuck. Um, but it's like, why would you leap me into her father and then leap me into her lover? Like, what? Yeah. GTFW, you got some explaining to do. Yeah. I just, I, I know we're going to end up discussing that because I know, yes, that does end up becoming something else very clearly. I'm just trying to draw some quite clear delineations between this episode and the next episode mm -hmm. so we can we can focus the discussion. Yeah. But yeah, the 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 Will Abigail relationship in the context of this episode, I I think is nice and it's um it it feels very genuine and sweet. And actually even what they do in the next episode doesn't spoil it for me and again we'll talk more about it next time but i i think it just puts it puts a spin on it you okay Abigail? can we discuss a little bit of uh stylistically what's happening in this episode because once again we have deborah sort of doing psychological thriller mm -hmm. a la dreams <laughs> maybe that's why <laughs> you're, you're getting shades of dreams could be, but I mean, a lot of black and white flashbacks. Yeah. She did such a good job with dreams. Yeah, yeah. and then they play that omen music over Abigail uh, beating the crap out of Violet. No spleen all over a new white sweater. <laughs> 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 Just Abigail saying my daddy instead of Sam saying my mommy. <laughs> <laughs> my daddy. Not supposed to be here. <laughs> no! I won't go! <laughs> you notice that Sam gets more southern in this leap? 
when he speaks, he sometimes gets that drawl. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just Scott Bakula, though. I think sometimes in the Southern Leaps, he just kind of slips into that. Yeah, I guess if you're surrounded by actors all doing that, it must be difficult not to. It's tempting, right? You just, I, I do yeah. declare. Go, I say, go away, boy, you bother me. <laughs> He's not doing it, like, all the time. It's just occasionally some lines just kind of get that draw. He was practicing for NCIS. <laughs> oh, we gonna have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, again, I think that the flashback sequences and uh, just the overall um, vibe worked much better in this episode than they did in Dreams. I agree. Yeah. It's it's a creepy horror story. I I, I do really like that vibe. And you get that vibe from the moment Sam leaps in because Sam's leaped in with bodies before. He even references it in the uh, in the voiceover, but it's not always the immediate grim tone that they have here. Like uh, play it against Seymour, he leaps in and there's a body. Like oh boy, but here you know it's like uh, <laughs> there's this waterlogged body in the water in front of him in a swamp. And I love, is they bring this up um, quite often, but Sam is such um, an empathetic character. Like, he's thinking, like, he mentions this in the voiceover. He's like, why am I too late? Why do I leap in when there's bodies? Why couldn't I save these people? And it's such a great character trait for Sam. I like that bit, too. And I got distracted by thinking, okay, what are the other two episodes? And I immediately thought of Goodnight to Your Heart. That was the, the first one where he leapt in and saw the body, right? He and did, then and just, then there and was, was played against Seymour. Seymour, yeah. Right, so... Was there any other bodies, or it was just those two? Yeah, this guy who wrote the book. <laughs> Do you remember, Matt? What's that, sorry? Do you remember... Um, <laughs> we remembered uh, Played Against Seymour and Goodnight Deerheart. Was there any other episodes with bodies when he leaped in? Hmm... Probably. <laughs> Because he says in, he says in the voiceover, it, if I remember correctly, it happened twice before, but I don't know how reliable that is. It could be there was some other things. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they threw. If I remember correctly, it's like Swiss cheese is great. If we messed it up, Sam's just, he just got the Swiss cheese. I love that though. That Sam. Anytime Sam hears about this tragedy, these tragedies um, in people's lives, like Goodnight Deerheart, when he he hears this random story about a, a kid dying in a boating accident, and he's just horrified by it. And then in this episode, they're talking about Laura's family, how um, her mother killed all of her children and then herself, and uh, except for Laura, and um, he's just floored by this. This is not anyone he really knows. Or anything that he's experienced, but he just feels it so deeply. And that's, you know, it, it's funny because you think that after how many leaps now is this for Sam? And you think that he might lose some of that edge, but he never does. Like, like he always feels it as keenly, even though he's a much more seasoned leaper, that he, he might roll with it or be a little bit jaded towards it by this point saying oh well okay this is this situation again i've been here before but it seems like every time it happens it's like the first time especially if there's some kind of tragedy yeah i, I love that about his character he just he cares so much about people um one thing i wanted to note uh the mirror image in this one uh the sheriff that's james whitmore jr again yeah oh really yeah, he was. Uh, he he's the director, and he directed many episodes of uh, Quantum Leap. And he was. Uh, he also played the father in Eight and a Half Months, 
And now he's playing the mirror image here. Did you notice, though, that it looks like they, they've done the classic mirror shot of having Scott and James eat, like over each other's shoulders or whatever, but you have to pretty much watch it on freeze frame to see any of Scott there. It's the most wasted mirror shot there is. Oh. <laughs> you know what? J- James wasn't behind... He wasn't the one behind the, the camera doing the directing or anything because he had to be on screen, so he couldn't... <laughs> But, he couldn't. <laughs> but literally, if they'd have shifted the camera one inch to the left, they could have just had James, oh. like his, his back, and it would have looked enough like Scott's back. It's just enough to the right that you can see Scott's cheek out of focus. And then the move that he does with the mirror is, as it always is, just very slightly out of sync. But if they'd have just shifted the camera an inch to the left, they, they could have got away with it. It's very weird. Maybe they were like, that's what they're expecting. But we, if we did it this way, they'd be like, oh, well. Yeah. If we did something fancy, they know we're doing a trick. <laughs> fancy like shifting to the left. <laughs> I mean, that's really, I mean, you have to go to uh, camera school uh, 102, advanced camera. <laughs> I just love that. Maybe I brought this up on the, the podcast before, but there was some interview that Scott Bakula was doing where he was talking about his cameo on um, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. They have an episode where he plays uh, himself and he uh, they have like some quantum leap stuff in there and they were doing a mirror shot <laughs> and he's like, oh, I know how to do this. You know, you just kind of shift and then you do the camera here and they're like, no, dude, like, <laughs> you can just, we just do it digitally now. It's fine. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I'm an old man. <laughs> I still have not seen that episode of Always Sunny. Oh, it's so good. It's very funny. So Scott Bakula was very funny in it in particular, just going to say. Go, Scott. Since you mentioned Mr. Whitmore Jr., I don't think I'm going to get another chance to bring this one up. But apparently, because um, it was James Whitmore Jr. also directed Lee Harvey Oswald, and he was able to get budget reallocated from that in order to spend more time on this. Oh, good for you, James Whitmore Jr. Yeah, which explains why it, it, it is it is a very nicely directed well, all, all three of them are very nicely directed episodes. You can tell they spent a little bit more time on them, I think. He's a very, very talented director, and he's a, he's a really mm. good actor, too. Because I see him occasionally pop up and stuff. He would do both, and I, I think he's still directing. I'm not really sure if he's still acting, but um, yeah, there's, a, there's an old Twilight Zone episode that he's in, uh, the 80s Twilight Zone, that was really good about, like, a Vietnam vet and a... Um, a roadside cafe and he's got these psychic powers and everything just goes crazy and uh james whitmore is in that as well i think he plays cops a lot he looks like a cop but yeah just a very talented director he's done a lot of really great episodes of quantum leap his last acting role was 1999 but yeah like you say he is still directing even this year and he's getting up there he's he's really up there too and he's still directing yeah but Wow, 1948. Him. Yeah. Yeah, but it's always uh it's always nice to see him and he he's done a lot of really great episodes of Quantum Leap. He does the series finale as well. I'm looking up some trivia here guys because correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't this Sam's birthday? The date of the sleep? What is it? August, August 8th? 8th? August yes. 8th, 1955. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's his yeah. birthday. There you go. It's his what's his second birthday? His second birthday. Yeah. And That's interesting. you were just mentioning the color truth before. Oh, no, not color. You were mentioning God help me, right? Yeah, it was so help me God. So help me God. Yeah. Um, this is the only time where Sam has leapt into uh, the same date. 
yeah. on a different leap. This is also uh, the date for Color of Truth. Oh. August 8th, mm-hmm. 1955. Interesting. So he is both Jesse Tyler and whoever Fuller. What's, <laughs> you think, I, I want to say Clayton. Yes, Clayton Fuller. I would have loved if they had gone into further seasons and experimented more with stuff like him leaping into the same date around the same place like he's got to avoid himself or like other things yeah. like that they could have really played with this premise full on back to the future too <laughs> he took the word right out of his, my mouth like, yeah. his, <laughs> into his timeline where he's actually like there like he's got to avoid past sam stuff like that <gasps> oh and they could have done an evil leaper episode like that now that would have ended up being very back to the future too. oh man they could have done such great stuff See, here's- okay but are we talking about like sam's life his life before he was leaping so yeah. just like sam the scientist or are we talking about sam as a leaper in like say color of truth well i well i, I was talking about both but <laughs> I'm thinking like uh, Aaliyah showing up and trying to mess up what happened in Color of Truth and then slightly older Sam trying to ensure that younger Sam can carry out the events of Color of Truth. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, I, I, I love the idea of two leaps, <laughs> cross- <laughs> two leaps like crossing over each other like that or um, leaping into Sam's life while he's a scientist and, and avoiding his own life and stuff like that. Like both of those, I think, are really... yeah great ideas that they could have done if they'd gone further because this is see i I give a lot of crap to season five and uh, and a lot of people do but one thing that i really liked and this applies to trilogy is that they were experimenting with a lot of stuff this is a very ambitious idea the three leaps all into this one woman's life during different points of it and they, they wouldn't have done that in other seasons i think this was like a really great idea (laughs) <laughs> whether it was uh, fully realized or or had uh, good elements put into it we'll get into that later but i do think that it was a really great idea and i wish that they'd been able to do more experiments and i think if they'd had a season six they probably would have just want to touch briefly on one of the things you mentioned um i seem to remember there was a, a planned comic book that never happened that would have had the evil leapers um leap into Sam's time on Project Quantum Leap before he leapt. Oh, okay. Um, so that that was a possibility. It's really surprising they never did that. They never had like, what if Sam could stop himself from leaping, or what if someone tried to mess it up, or whatever. Yeah, I wonder if they would have gone down that road if they had a season six, because they, again, had pretty much embraced a lot of the more heavy sci-fi elements of the premise at that point. So it's not beyond the pale to think that they would have tried to do something along those lines. And one of the novels touched on that as well with having Sam leap into what the early nineties, the late eighties and considering phoning himself to tell himself not to leap. Maybe he was worried about a paradox or something. Of course, everything is really a paradox. And this. You know, if he solves something, why would he leap in to solve it if it never happened? Stuff like that. But yeah. they just never touch on it. That's what's weird, I think. You know, I'll be like, yeah, we le-, like um, in Roberto, he's like, yeah, just over there. That's where we're, do- this is where we'll create this or do do do. Or like sometimes he's leapt in like uh, in Piano Man. He was like really close to where the project was during the time he'd be there. And it was like, nah. Joey, Joey, Joey. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, I don't know how much more I have to say about, um, what are we talking about? I don't know how much more I have to say about Trilogy Part 1, guys, but 
I really want to um, sort of reiterate what you just said, Allison, because it, it basically sums up my final thoughts. Just because I don't like this episode, I don't think that that makes it necessarily a bad episode. I think that they really are trying something different. And um, just because I didn't like it doesn't mean they don't deserve credit for shaking up the formula and doing something that's a lot more ambitious. And in my mind, this only could have happened in like a season five scenario. Because at this point, anybody that's still watching the show is not going to be new. Mm -hmm. So I think they realize that we have a dedicated fan base and we can start playing with this stuff a lot more and exploring different things that if you're worried about doing an episodic anthology type series, that you really wouldn't like, this isn't a road you would go down in a season two or season three episode. It's just, just, you can't. So uh, I'll say, say what I will about how much I liked it. Just the fact that they were even trying something of this magnitude to me is very impressive. Can I share something with you that you're going to love? Sure. Um, so in November 1990, Belisario showed up to a screening or hosted a screening for Leap Home Parts 1 and 2. And he described what was going to be the season three finale. And the season three finale was going to be a three-parter written by Deborah Pratt set in the same town over three decades in which Sam will leap into three different people. Huh. With probably a murder to solve. Hmm, so they have this sitting around for a bit? It it took them until the fifth season to, to get it up and running, but yeah, this had been bubbling under for a couple of years. So you're absolutely right, Chris, this, this is the kind of thing that could only happen in season five, but I, I guess maybe the time wasn't quite right in season three and they were thinking of these kind of things, but still playing it a little bit safer. So this would have been the uh, the end of season three? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Instead of the leap back. Uh, shock theater. Can you imagine if they'd done it at the end of season three and then we had seasons four and five to dive into all of this stuff? Like, they're like, now we've done this. Now now what? What are we going to do now? I'm, I, for one, I'm glad that they didn't because shock theater, the leap back are, you know, two all-time episodes. Yeah, so. shock theater is yeah. my favorite episode. But I'm just saying, <laughs> if they'd done that that early on, what would that springboard into? Just an interesting what if. Sometimes, you know, I wish I could peer into the other dimension where something like that happened. You know, like what 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 path would this take? Oh my god! The second we find out how to hop dimensions, I mean, this this podcast will go on forever. We have an infinite number of quantum leap episodes <laughs> yeah, that we haven't yeah, that's seen. Really, you know, <laughs> that's the main point of hopping dimensions to of continue course. the podcast. <laughs> that's such a 2020 thing to say, right? Everyone's like, oh, once we're dimension hopping, my podcast is gonna go. <laughs> It's going to take off. I'll, I'll hop to the dimension where my podcast is a million listeners. <laughs> and we're talking about that episode where Sam leaps into the dog. <laughs> I love that Tommy Thompson couldn't remember if they did the monkey thing. Like, did we leap him into a monkey? <laughs> sure did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tried to wipe it from his mind. Did not want diaper monkey taking up any brain space. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Tommy came from another dimension. He came from the one where they didn't do Diaper Monkey. That's the sad <laughs> dimension where Diaper Monkey did not exist. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, Allison, do you have any final thoughts on Trilogy Part 1? I think it's the least problematic of the trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's a solid episode. It really is. I love the creepy flavor. Um, I agree that James Whitmore Jr., like, uh, you could tell that he put a lot of time and thought into this. Um, it looks great. Velton Ray Bunch created some great, unique music pieces for this episode that really helped build the atmosphere. And I think all of the supporting actors 
are really, really good, and they all get something to do because it's all building towards something else. Okay, how about you, Matt? Yeah, um, I'm going to throw one other comment in that I haven't made so far, um, which is just that this episode has one of my favorite looking leap outs ever. I love the the oh that that final shot is just magnificent. But that's all part of the fact that yeah, this the whole this episode and the whole trilogy are very beautiful looking and very well crafted. And this is a great build up. Where it goes, different matter, but as a build up, um this is really good and yeah, great cast that they pulled together for it. Really really good solid cast. We did, we didn't talk about the fact he didn't save Clayton Fuller in the end. No. Yeah, I don't no, no, no. it could be debated whether he got him killed cuz he in the history he died anyway in the fire, but yeah, he didn't save him. Yeah, and I think that that's them just playing with the idea of he doesn't really have to succeed to leap anymore and he did save Abigail. Yeah. Yeah. So, if you're going to take I think trilogy as a whole, he's there for her at different points in her life. Yes. You think he was going to leap out at that point, or he got leapt out because that was GTFW saving him from the fire? Yeah, letting Clayton take it. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> Sam's got more work to do. <laughs> Whatever, Clayton's done. <laughs> Clayton would be alive, Sam would have hopped out that window if not for that damnable Meg Foster showing up out of nowhere in the middle of the roaring inferno. That's a great shot, her just standing in the flames. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, no, that was that I thought that that was um one of the better leap outs as well. Mm. It was really cool. Just imagine how terrified Sam was in that scenario. Like yeah. to me that's a much scarier situation to be leaping out of than him in the in the electric chair. The electric chair does this very slow build up. What's happening here in this leap out is chaos and that final shot looking down really emphasizes that. That it's just, you don't know what's going on, and he could get killed at any moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really great touch on that one. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up, because I, I had, um, of of the most vivid memories of this episode, aside from Meg Foster's eyes, was <laughs> that leap out. Yeah. So. All right. Do you uh, do you want to do some final thoughts, Matt? Or was yeah, that's that 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 is my final thoughts. Not just the leap out, but the, but the whole the fact that this is forty five minutes of really really good build up. There's there's a few parts that um, in the script that could have been handled differently, but the slower pace I think works really well for what it's trying to do. All right. Well, now that we've spilled our hearts about one little heart, I'm going to call this one. But don't be disheartened, <laughs> huh? Because we have an announcement. We have a new Patreon supporter to announce. Her name is Anne Dumas. Welcome aboard, Anne. Woo! Thank Yay. you, Anne. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Anne joins us at the $2 Observer level, and that entitles her to this shout-out on the podcast. So here it is, Anne. We're shouting you out. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you. In addition to her $2 pledge, Anne also sent us a wonderful email and how could it be anything but wonderful because the subject line reads you guys are fantastic i mean uh, <laughs> that's a good way to start we like that it can only go uphill from here <laughs> what if it was a bait and switch like, you guys are fantastic at being terrible <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then we'd have to read it it'd be a real zinger oh man <laughs> don't raise my hopes 
This is actually like one of the nicest pieces of feedback we've gotten. I already read through all of it. It's very nice. Yeah, we're lo- yeah. we're lucky because Anne isn't as devious as Alison Pregler, apparently. So, <laughs> <laughs> never trust anything from Alison. Anne writes, "Hello, all. I just became a patron of your podcast, and I wanted to give you a shout out. I very recently discovered your podcast by accident after my sister, who watched Quantum Leap faithfully with me when we were growing up, found the clip about the lost ending and called me because." she was so excited. I learned about the podcast and binge listened to get caught up. That's all 80 episodes in about two and a half months. (sighs) I can honestly say by far the most I have laughed in 2020 has been listening to the three of you. So funny, so interesting, just awesome. Just a few fan geeky comments. Uh, Number one, about Al being a scientist, it's stated in both Genesis and Private Dancer that Al went to MIT. And number two, the cataclysms Al lists off to Sam in Deliver Us From Evil in my head canon were far-reaching, not just within the two or so days Aaliyah was there. Ziggy can scan the whole future and was attributing all those catastrophes to Aaliyah disrupting the timeline starting at this point. Okay, so Mm. I know that Mm. we'd said that that's not Mm. how the butterfly effect works, but if you're extrapolating out into a far future. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it also tracks when we think about one line in Mirror Image. When Gushy says Ziggy scanned all of Sans' birthdays to the end of the 21st century. So yeah. that's when they definitively said in canon that she could see into the future, mm-hmm. not just the past. Um, I guess we had discussed at some point Al being a scientist and whether or not he was a scientist. I'm trying to remember that conversation, but I'm glad Anne did for us. I think it's because we were bringing up the series Bible that mentions Al being a oh, scientist. Okay. And, and I believe uh, Jean-Pierre Dorliac was talking about how he was not like this great scientist. Ah, I don't know. Kind of uh, back and forth on that one. But they definitely do talk about MIT more than once. That's for sure. So I mm. guess he's science adjacent, even if he's not a scientist. So anyway, and finishes up by saying, I also think it would be great for you three to go back, if for nothing else, than my three favorite episodes, MIA, The Leap Home, and Vietnam. Anyway, thanks for brightening a dark year. Can't wait for the next installment. Sincerely, Anne Dumas. And she said, pronounce Dumas just to avoid the obvious blunder. And I wouldn't have said the obvious thing. I think I know what you're, you're alluding to there, but I would have said Dumas. <laughs> I think I would have said Dumas because of uh, Extra Large, the hit TV <laughs> movie series uh, that I believe is also like making a reference to the author because the the character is French. Yeah, I would have added a bit more of a French uh, uh, Frenchness to it, but certainly not dumbass. And we know Anne is not a dumbass. So, Smart lady. We oh, like her. Oh, oh, yeah, so. This is a great, great bit of <laughs> yeah. feedback. Yeah, thank you so much, Anne. I actually was uh, at work when Anne's pledge came through, and then the email came through after the fact. And I was uh, with my buddy Dom, and I'm poking him on the, sh- on, on the shoulder, and I'm saying, look, look, I can honestly say that I have laughed in 2020 more from listening to you guys than from anything else. I was like, see, see, my podcast is awesome. And I have the most awesome podcast hosts and the most awesome listeners. It really, it really inflated my ego, which doesn't need any more inflation, but (laughs) there you have it. (laughs) It's so great when you, when you think about that, like, cause it's hard to remove like from yourself, you know, what, what this thing is. And then thinking about someone listening to it and like, nobody's having a great 2020. I don't think (laughs) like, you know, to be able to laugh at something and hang out and like, especially when it's something that you enjoy, you know, like quantum leap and then to just be like, just have a good time. Yeah. Have jokes about it or analyzing it just to, yeah, it's a nice thought. It's keeping us all going. 
I just want to give a, a little bit of an addendum here because um, this isn't the first letter and sent to us about a week and a half ago, and I didn't realize it was the same person until I was just going through. I guess Anne was right when she said she was binge listening to the entire podcast all at once because the first letter she wrote to us was actually addressed to Heather and Albie, and I guess she hadn't gotten to the Switch and Hosts yet. And um, she said some really nice stuff about them too uh, because she's also a Trekkie and – Albie and Heather, of course, talked about MIA and The Leap Home and all of her favorite episodes. So um, she had nothing but nice things to say about them, too. So it's not just us. I just want to give credit where credit's due and props to Albie and Heather for paving the way for us. So, And Anne, God bless you for listening to all seven iterations of A Little Miracle. That's, that's 24 <laughs> hours of your life right there. That's 24 of the 40 hours right there. <laughs> Isn't that two wow. and a half months in itself by this yeah. point? I have never done that. I've never managed that. Yeah, it's wow. It's a it's a beast. It's a bear. But Is it being added on to this year? I don't talk to Albie. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Oh my gosh. So I know that uh, I was thoroughly surprised last year when I heard the new version with you and Albie doing the wraparound, which I didn't even know was going to happen. So it was a nice surprise for me. Maybe I'll get another nice surprise for Christmas. I'm like, I don't know what Albie's got planned. <laughs> we recorded that super late too. It was probably like three in the morning and then we recorded that. <laughs> That's when you two are at your best, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Uh, I'm always up at three in the morning. It was fun. <laughs> oh, it's great. Get loosey goosey. Right. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for um, the kind words. And if you out there would like to be like Anne and send us some feedback, there are many ways that you can reach us here on the Quantum Leap podcast. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And... You can be like Anne and go that extra level. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's next. Well, after Trilogy Part 1, we have the imaginatively titled Blood Moon. No, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, guys. Trilogy Part 2. to be a shame. The wedding is tomorrow. Now cover yourself. And you will, Kinman. If you don't get out of here, I'm gonna... Well, I don't know what I'm gonna do, but get out! Well, Kinman... I couldn't wait one more moment to touch you. <laughs> And you got five minutes to get dressed and get out of this house or I'm throwing you out butt naked. You get him out of here. You hear me, Abigail Fuller? Abigail. Oh, the boy.
bum, 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 bum. For your love. Apparently. For your love is right, huh? Starring yeah. Melora Hardin from The Office. <laughs> Yay! Not pulling any punches with that leap in. Hmm. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're gonna have fun. Let that be foreshadowing for the next time. <sighs> Oh, well, I can't <laughs> wait to hear all of your vitriol and bile and just general disgust. It's going to be so much fun. But uh, we will save that for a trilogy part two. Until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Alison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baronspace production. I mean... Well, in... My thing keeps beeping. I'm sorry, guys. Okay. Making sure it's stopping. I'm going to just mute that. Okay, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we at? Trilogy part one. I'm just making sure I didn't miss any of my notes. (laughs) Forgetting which episode we're watching. It's one little heart, mate. That's what we're watching. (laughs) No. Uh, Hope that helps. All right. One little heart. So that's one little heart in the books, and uh, we'll uh, be looking forward to talking about uh, what's the next one? <laughs> Trilogy <laughs> two, Matt. No, next next week we're going to be hopping dimensions and watching the one where Sam leaps into a baby, <laughs> oh. a baby alien dog. Oh my god! Well, that was a classic. The baby alien dog episode. That was a classic somewhere. All right, so I think that uh, we pretty much have covered Trilogy Part 1, but that's not the end of the show, guys. We have some feedback. Boom, boom, boom. That's where I'll put the feedback in case I don't go to a break. I loved the Quantum Leap podcast. (laughs) It was so good. Is that Minnie Mouse? (laughs) (laughs) It's Mickey. (laughs) Did you like that one, Matt? (laughs) Yeah, that was good. Thanks. Loved it. <laughs> that's, that's an American pop culture reference that I actually understood. It's, always, it's always pleasant. <laughs> See, I always want to say Dumas, but it is Dumas. She Dumas. Dumas. Well, oh, oh, hang on a second. It, despite the the written discussion we had, are we disagreeing on how to pronounce it? Well, because I would say mass. Like, M-A-S-S is mass, but Dumas yeah. sounds more correct, but it seems to be how she, she wrote it, Dumas. Dumas. Pronounced Dumas. Dumas. Yeah, Dumas. if you say Dumas, maybe that sounds a little better. And Dumas. Okay. 
Dumas. Dumas. Yeah, Dumas. maybe Dumas? Yeah, that's what I was going with. Dumas. Dumas. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's Pisson. It's Dumas. <laughs> Dumas. It seems to be so helpful, but who, who knew how many ways there were to pronounce uh, mass? So many. That's, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't think it's dumbass, but... No. I think that's what she was trying to avoid. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what she's trying to avoid, but saying, like, just do would see, like, do mass, which just sounds like you're saying dumbass in a silly way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Hyacinth Bouquet. Uh, the Bucket Woman. It's, it's like when people are like, I'm going to Tarjay, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me all the ways you love me, Matt.